Good morning. As always, I'm glad you could be here this morning. It is quite an opportunity for us to gather together. I know we gather together most Sundays, but it is uh, every Sunday uh, at a great opportunity to worship to our, our God together and meet together and share together. And it's a, it's a truly tremendous uh, blessing to be able to do so. I, I, w- I was thinking this morning or this past week about stories, the idea of stories, and so I, I was glad that Danny talked about uh, stories. I like it when things kind of mesh together. We had a, had a reading from Matthew, and it says that they, they per- per- perpetrated the story, they put the story forth and, and continue to tell the story, uh, a, a false story about Jesus, right? And, and it's interesting to, to learn about stories, to hear stories, to tell stories. We, we learn so often through the, the telling of stories. We, we remember things when they're told in story form. It's why scripture is, is mostly in, in story form. We get this story of, of God's love that's kind of throughout the ages. But we, we understand and we know stories. We find them, we find them appealing uh, so often. I was thinking about this. Uh, Noah has been playing uh, volleyball at, at the high school this year, and he's been enjoying that. And so I was, I was thinking about my, my time playing volleyball in high school and trying to figure out how many years ago that was, and I was having a hard time figuring out how many years ago that was. Noah had to do the math for me, but it was a while ago. And so I, I, knew, that, uh, I knew that a friend of mine, uh, Paul Alberti, had, had uh, videoed or had the video that was taken of our provincial year, the year that we went to provincials. And so I got around to asking him if he, if he still had that from all those years uh, ago. And sure enough, he did. So he... He put it online for, for us to, to watch, and so we watched bits of it, and it's a, it's a walk down memory lane of not only the technology of the age, because it's quite blurry, and it was the best that we could do back then, uh, but just the walk down memory lane to see everyone again, like you remember them, and, and watch all of that. It's funny because uh, I spent some time watching it and sharing that, and then you get talking to all the other guys that were on the team and saw that it was posted online, and they all spent the same amount of time watching it and, and kind of going down memory lane. We, we remember these things, those stories of our life. I, one of the clearest memories I have from my childhood is a, a story that I've told before. Maybe that's why it's so clear in my, in my brain. Um, I'll tell it again. And if you've heard it before, I apologize, but it always cracks me up. There, there's a kid that uh, we uh, were neighbors with. He was a few houses down. And he was always uh, telling stories. But not the kind of stories you think, oh, that's believable. He would always tell stories and, and put himself in a situation where you're like, no, that, that didn't happen, man. That's just not the way it works. Uh, he would tell one story that he said he was at a Vancouver Canucks game, and the goalie went to make a save, and the goalie mitt came off, flew into the air, and he caught it. And so he was showing us this mitt that had to be one of the first goalie mitts ever invented. And it was surely not anything that had ever been used in the NHL. And he was claiming that he caught this at a Vancouver Canucks game. So those are the stories he told. And, and, and we all were like, okay, no, Brett, that, that didn't happen that way. I mean, it just didn't happen that way uh, before the internet, so you couldn't Google half the stuff he'd say. But anyway, uh, we, uh, we got to one time, and he was telling us about how great he was at magic. He was the next Harry Houdini. Uh, nothing could hold him. And Kelly and I, my brother, set out to prove him wrong. And so we said... Uh, we will tie you. Our neighbor was putting up a fence. Says something maybe about us as kids. Our neighbor was putting up a fairly large fence and just had the poles in the ground. 
And we said to him, well, we will, we will put your theory that you're the next Harry Houdini to the test. So we went and got all the rope that we had and proceeded to tie him to one of those poles. And he was in quite a good mood, actually, because he was going to prove to us how good he was at magic. Part of the story that I didn't tell you is that maybe we were such good kids that the house was also for sale. They were not only putting up a fence, but it was for sale. Again, maybe says something about my brother and I as, as kids. Um, and so here this kid of maybe nine or ten is tied to a pole in these people's backyard. And Kelly and I run for the bushes, literally run and hide in the bushes as the realtor comes out to show the house. And the realtor comes around the house with this young couple and there was a small child tied to a pole in the backyard. And you cannot buy that kind of humor. It is just the absolute greatest thing that has ever happened. And she is just aghast because how do you sell a house now? You can't, you can't go back. There's no going back from that moment in selling that house. And if you sell that house to those people, there's something wrong with those people. And they're all really concerned about this child. And he's like, nope, no, it's good. I'm almost out. <laughs> and Kelly and I are in the bushes trying to hide ourselves because we've tied this small child to a pole. And they left him. They left him tied to the pole. <laughs> because he, he convinced them that he was almost free. And we had to literally go and untie him and run away until they came back with uh, maybe the police. But I can, I can, that is as clear as day to me, hearing them coming and Kelly and I running and hiding in the bushes and watching it all unfold. And just, we, we remember stories. Scripture, again, as I said, is told uh, in, the, in the stories. And the reality is I, I hope that we, as we look at our lives, we understand the very the very power that we have in the retelling of our stories. And not just, not just in humor, but, but in, the, in the power that there is in telling the connection that we have with God. When's the last time you told someone the, the relationship that you had with God, that you explained to someone why it is that you love God, why it is that you're faithful, why it is that you choose to meet together and worship God, why it is that you long to be pleasing to God. Do you understand the power of that story? Do, do we understand what that means for us to be able to share that? You know, when it says to go and tell all that, that we've been commanded to go and teach and preach, how do we draw a connection to that which we've been taught, that which we've heard preached, and who we are? Because it's one thing to go out and say, this is what the Bible says, and there's power in that. Clearly there's power in that. And there's another thing to be able to go out and say, this is why. This is what it means. This is what we're doing. This is the connection that we have. This is the relationship I have with my God. And we all have, we all have our strength. We all have our, our weaknesses. We all have our talents and abilities. We all have our stories that we can share with those around us in order to encourage, to reprimand, to teach, to discipline, all of those things that we can connect the teaching of God's Word to real life. 
Do we understand the power of that? I think that often we forget, we forget what it is to go out and share and to teach and to, and because our society doesn't really, you don't really want to put yourself out there, but we as, we as Christians should want to, to put ourselves out there. Are we perfect? No, we're not, we're not perfect. So there's, there's moments and, and lessons that we can be, be learning from all of those things, but, but we have this connection to our God. And when people see that it actually means something to you, when there is an actual love for God, there is an actual relationship with God, do you think that teaching means more? It means more. When, when they know that we have a desire, a true desire for them to be saved, that comes and is born out of our own experiences, our own, our own life, our own connection with God. We need to be sharing those, uh, those stories. It's a, it's a truly amazing and wonderful thing to be a child of the King. I want to I touch on a, a few stories. and I, I, As you go through Scripture, there's a lot of wonderful and amazing events that happen in Scripture told in, in the stories of of people's lives, and I want to I want to touch on a few that I that I think are tremendously powerful. Not that there isn't others, you know. If you're going to break it down, there's only a three point sermon, so you only get to pick three. And if you're going to pick three stories of the Bible, you're leaving out a lot. But I want to I want to talk about a few of them. One of them is the story of Esther, and you you probably remember the story of, of Esther. And we're gonna we're gonna turn into Esther, the, the second chapter of that of that story. And it says in chapter two, verse nineteen, it says. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions, as she had done when he was bringing her up. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bethana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. Uh, all of this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. So here we have this a tidbit, this little kind of this offing in the story. And, and most of us will remember the story of Esther uh, later on. And this is kind of a, a little tidbit that's forgotten. But in, in, in this, we see kind of the nugget that, that goes on to, to prove out the story. And it says... In verse 20, Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality. This is kind of the foundation of everything that, that happens later, right? Because she goes on to be, as queen, she goes on to be uh, this woman who is called then to be put in a position uh, where Mordecai tells her that you can save your people. You can save your people. All you have to do, and this makes it sound maybe a little oversimplified, all you have to do is go to the king... And ask for the life of, of your people. Sounds easy enough, right? Well, what's the other side of that, that coin, if you remember the, the story? Uh, what happens if someone just goes to the king when they're not uh, called into an audience with the king? What happens? Well, the king has two choices at that point, right? More than likely, choice one is what happens. 
If you just interrupt the king and come to the king, your life is taken. And that is a harsh reality of, of the day, but, but that's what she was facing. Now there was a small chance, and she knew it was a small chance, that the king would find favor and she would live. But more than likely, she understood that if she went to the king, her life was forfeit. And so she had to make that choice. Am I going to go and forfeit my life in an attempt to save my people's life? Or am I going to hold on and protect my own life because no one knows my family or my descent? And allow the opportunity for my people to perish. And I probably remember some of Mordecai's words to her. And he says to her that, that even if you choose not to go, their help will come from some other direction. God will, God will look after his people. And so she comes to this conclusion that she's going to go to the king. And she says, if I perish, I perish. Choosing then to fulfill this purpose that, that Mordecai has said, this is, the, this is the very reason for such a time as this, that you are in this position to go and do something about what's happening. It's a powerful story. And I wish we had time to go through all of it, but go through and read it. We're going to look at a few other stories. But I, I want to look at that idea of purpose. What is our purpose? What is your purpose? That's a bigger question than we have maybe to answer in the next 10 minutes before it's noon on that clock. But what is your purpose? What are we doing? What are you doing? Now, we all have things that we want to accomplish, right? We have, we have goals set for probably today, this week, beyond. We have probably goals for our kids, our grandkids, things we'd like to, to see happen, things that we could be involved in. We probably have goals at, at work. We have goals at home. We have all of these things that we're planning, all of these things that we would like to see come to fruition. But what's your purpose? You know, you shed some of that away, some of those things that you know you can't ultimately control, though... You're trying as hard as you can to. You strip some of those things away. And, and what becomes your, your purpose? What becomes the, the reality of, of what we're doing here? I, I, I remember a story I told from a, a Super Bowl champion. And it was, a, a, I believe it was Dallas Cowboy. And, and they had won the Super Bowl. And he said the most depressing day of his entire life was the day after they won the Super Bowl. You think it would be this wonderful celebration they just accomplished everything he had set out to do in his entire life from the time that he is the earliest he could remember his goal was to win the Super Bowl he wins it and it's the most depressing thing that ever happened to him because now what I've, I've accomplished everything I'm 25 years old and I've got nothing left to achieve because his whole life was built on that one goal so what happens if you achieve that goal well, there's nothing left. What, what's what is our purpose? Our God has called us to something, hasn't he? Our God has called us to something that isn't just short term, that isn't just, okay, here, reach this step, and then once you've accomplished that, there's not much else to do. This is a long-term goal. This is a race that we're running till the end. It is on a narrow road, but it is a race that we are running to be pleasing to God, to truly live for God, to be obedient to God. And that's that's not one thing you say, well, I've accomplished that today. Tomorrow I don't know what I'm going to do. This is a day in and day out. It is a, it is a purpose of life is to be his child. To serve him. To be, to be humble. 
The, the greater question that we have, because we probably recognize that that's what God has called us to do, the greater question probably comes around is, what if it is hard? What if all of a sudden it's difficult? What if it just, you know, I have other things on my mind? What if, what if all of these other things in life, because the reality of life is that life can be tough sometimes, what if it just gets really, really hard? And, and I hope we understand what that means, because sometimes we think when we say stuff like that, that it's always going to be a, a temptation or trials or all of this, this really difficult thing. Sometimes the hardest time it is to, to be humble and serve God is when everything's going really good. Because we forget then that we need God. What happens when it's hard? What happens when it's hard to, to get up on Sunday morning to come to church? What happens when you look at your Bible and think, oh man, do I need to read that again? I read it last week or I read it the other day. I, I'll just put Netflix on and it's just easier. What happens when it's hard? What do we do when it's, when it's hard? Do we, do we choose to continue on in faith? Do we continue to fight through the difficulty? Where does the difficulty come from? You ever thought about that? Why is it hard sometimes? Well, let's be honest. We have a, we have a sinful nature. We have a part of us that, that longs and desires to... to to go against God. And we fight against that all of our lives. And we are called to walk in step with the Spirit. And Satan comes and tempts. And Satan comes and says, but do this instead. Just do this instead. This is easier. This is better. This is just going to be so much nicer. You'll get farther ahead. You'll make more money. You'll do this. You'll be more powerful. You'll be more popular. You'll be more... And we fight against that over and over we're not alone but we have to fight and make those choices again and again and again and again and in some areas it'll get easier and easier and easier and then satan will will try in a different area and we'll work through that again and again and we'll choose to be faithful and we'll be close to our god and we'll be studying god's word and we'll be teaching and preaching and sharing Encouraging and being uplifted and encouraged by others. And the reality is, what if it's hard? So what if it's hard? Really, ultimately, I, I know that sounds just like it makes it too easy. Like it's too convenient just to say, oh, what? so what if it's hard? But the reality is, is what is the other alternative? Do we fight through the difficulty? Do we continue on in faith and in prayer and in study? Do we continue on or do we, do we walk away from that? Let us never entertain that. Let us continue to do what God has called us to do. Ultimately, to put first the will of God. To do the will of God. To know what truth is and to follow it. I want to turn into Acts, and if you turn uh, into Acts, I want you to follow along uh, into chapter 7. And if you know uh, the stories that are told in Acts, you know that at the end of uh, chapter 7 into chapter 8, we have the story uh, being told of Stephen, obviously. And at the end of chapter 7, 
we see the stoning of, of Stephen. And he tells this retelling of the kind of the history of, of God's people and their connection to the Messiah and that Jesus is the Messiah, bringing into culmination this idea that they are, they are doing it wrong and, and, and begins to try to draw them into the truth. And that gets him what? Do you remember the story of Stephen? They become so enraged, right? They become so furious. Let's read it. The end of Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. It says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So enraged that they drag him out and they stone him. And, and, and this introduction then into Saul, who we know as, as Paul. And he is taking on then the responsibility of, if they have to give an account of why they did this, uh, he's the one who's taking on responsibility. They're laying their coats at his feet. And he is going to then be the one that says, this is why we did this and take take responsibility for it. And this is our introduction to him. It, it's interesting. Uh, is, is Saul, is Paul, if we, if we look at him here and in the very first parts of, of the next chapter, is this the guy we're choosing? Is this the guy we're choosing to take the, the message of the New Testament into the world? I mean, this is our introduction. We know he goes on to persecute the church. We know he goes on to imprison and kill those who are followers of the way. If we were, if we were choosing at that point, if we were telling this story, if we we're the ones uh, in charge here, is this the guy we're choosing? Come on, be honest. Is this the guy you're choosing? No. You're not choosing this guy. He is so far away from recognizing the truth that you're thinking, there's no way. I'm not even going near this guy. If I go near this guy and begin to teach him the truth, what's going to happen to me? Look what he did with Stephen. There's no way. Do we recognize the power of telling the story of Jesus? Because when Paul understands and sees the truth, what happens? He does a complete... 180. Right? A complete 180. He goes from being zealous for God and missing the truth to being zealous for God and understanding the truth. And yet we're looking at that guy and saying, there's no way that guy will ever change. There's no way we should go and preach to that guy. The power of God to change the hearts of man. And the story of Paul is a tremendous lesson in teaching and preaching and sharing. Because what does he go on to do? Well, we know, open up most of your New Testament, and he is the one writing it. He is the one that is going out and teaching in the world, establishing churches, baptizing those, and, and bringing them into, and he calls himself the father of, of many, and bringing them into a relationship with God. 
And we miss out on that connection if we're the ones choosing. Because he recognizes the need for change. He recognizes what it is to be lost. He recognizes what it is to be a sinner. And so he can go and he can take and share that message with others. Do we recognize what it is that has changed in us? Do we recognize where we have, where we have come from? So that we can take that message into the world and, and, and allow others to be changed as well. There are those that need to see Jesus. Right? That there will never be a change, an actual change in their life until they recognize Jesus as the Savior and become faithful and believe in Him and obedient to the Gospel. And so they absolutely 100% need to see Jesus. How are they going to do that? Just make a list in your head of ways that they're going to find out about the truth of the gospel. Okay, go ahead. Some of you are really struggling at it. That's good. Uh, some of you are thinking to yourself about a grocery list or something else. But uh, what, what are the options? They can stumble upon a Bible, okay? Begin to read it, understand it, and desire for change, okay? Uh, God could, could work in their lives and where they have this, this understanding and, and, and have a need. How were you taught anything? If you, if you, most of us Google things now, but if you need to know something on how to do something, what are you going to do? I had to change a, a belt, on uh, my van when I had the van. And I had no idea how to do that. Absolutely none. And so I have the belt because I went to the store and, and bought the part that I knew I needed. So I have the belt in my hand and I have the, the van sitting there. What am I going to do with that? That's literally what I was thinking. What am I going to do with this? <laughs> I know it needs this part, but I have no idea how to put it on. Am I going to just look at the engine long enough and say to myself, Oh, yeah, there we go. Now I, now I know what to do. What are the odds of that happening? I can tell you from uh, my lack of mechanical skills, the odds are very, very low. What you're thinking, multiply that by zero and you're getting close. Wait a minute. The math will come to you in a second. Uh, that there, was, there was no chance. So what do I have to do? I've got to find someone who knows how to do that. And so I, I Googled it. And the first guy was useless because he had no better idea than I did. So I watched that whole video for nothing. But then I Googled it again, and there was a guy who said, okay, it's easy. And if you're here, I feel bad for you because it's, it's easy. And we, me and my friend on the internet uh, worked it out. And it was easy. But I had no clue. I wasn't going to just sit there and learn by just looking at the engine. I'd still be there. If we think that most people are just going to come to Christianity simply because there's this call placed on them to do so without being taught, without being preached to, without being sh the gospel being shared, then we're missing the call that God has placed on us as Christians to go and teach and preach and share for a reason. The Ethiopian eunuch has this book of Isaiah. He's studying it, reading it, and his first question is what? What is going on? Right? Philip comes and, he's, and he says to him, how, how do I know what this means? 
well, what, what do you mean? You have it there. Can't you just read it and understand it? And he doesn't understand it until what happens? He's got it. He's read it. He's concerned about it. He desires to know what it means, but he doesn't understand until what? Until Philip comes along and says, this is what it means. And begins to share with him. And all of a sudden, there's this light bulb that clicks in his head. And he looks out and says, there's water. What is keeping me from being obedient? And all of a sudden, he is obedient to the gospel. If we recognize that there are those in the world that need Jesus, then we have to go out and teach and preach and share the truth so that they can understand what it is, what it means to see Jesus. Going to John. And in John chapter 21, I, I like this passage because we see, we see Peter who has denied Jesus, who has turned away from Jesus, who has left. And, and I don't know if you could imagine what it must have been like to be on, on Peter's end of that, to have denied Jesus, to to have turned away from who you know to be teacher and Lord and, and who have professed to be the Messiah, the Son of God, and to walk away and, and the depression and the loneliness that he must have, must have felt at that moment, to have denied Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. But then to come to this, where he is reinstated, where, where Jesus brings him back into the fold. And that's what Jesus does, isn't it? He came to save the lost. He came to save those who were lost, to those who were weak, to, the, to bring them back. So that they can understand and have salvation. Do people need to see Jesus? Do they need to understand and know the truth that Jesus came for them? Yes, in their weakness. Yes, in their, the, the fact that they're lost. Yes, in all of that. And to bring them up out of that so that they can be saved. Just as, as we were weak, we were enemies, we were sinners. And to bring us into a point of salvation. We tell a lot of stories. Just think about how many times you tell a story in a day. It may not be a story from way back when, but it's a story. You know, this happened to me. Or this, this took place yesterday. Is this a story worth telling? Is the story of God's love for mankind, which is what, which is what Scripture is, is it worth telling and retelling? Is the story of the gospel one that we hold dear to the point where we want to tell it over and over and over again? The simple answer is okay I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase that the simple answer is yes it is the more complex answer is how we're going to do it and it's not that complex but it's more complex how we're going to do it how we're going to go about retelling this story telling it over and over and over even if we have to as the title says this morning go tell it on the mountain go shout it from the mountaintops because people need the Lord. We need the Lord. People need to hear the message and the story of Jesus Christ, our Savior, their Savior, the Son of God.
I want to close this morning by reading in John again, but uh, this time chapter 19. Uh, again, I would encourage you to follow along. John chapter 19, starting in verse 11, and it says this. Jesus answered, You have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gebatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. And with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the places where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. With the undergarment remaining, this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit.